Hey, good morning. My name is Brandon. I am the pastor of preaching uh, here at Sojourn Heights, as he said. Uh, We're in a series on the book of Job. Job is part of what's called the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the portion or the section of the Bible that comes before, uh, before Jesus. And so to catch us up in this story of Job, uh, Job chapters 1 and 2 uh, open up with this description of Job and his family. And uh, the way that we kind of described it, it was like this. We said that uh, Job was basically uh, Billy Graham with Bill Gates' money and a perfect family. Um, and then immediately, almost immediately, there's this scene where Satan is before God. Uh, he's, he's looking for someone to devour, and God says, hey, hey, Satan, you ever thought about Job? And he says, no, but he'll do. I'll take him. And he proceeds to take Job's property, his children's life, and his health. And at the end of chapter 2, it, it looks like the question that the book of Job is going to answer Uh, is this, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a legitimate question, a real question, probably one that many of us wrestle with in this room, but as we follow the narrative of Job, we see that the deeper question, uh, what's underneath that, is this, is God just in a world of injustice? And as we follow Job, and as we trace at Job, um, here's Job's basic thesis, I don't deserve this. Like, I don't deserve what's happening to me. I know me Hey, uh, you friends of mine, y'all know me. I don't deserve what's happening to me right now because I don't deserve what's happening to me. I demand answers. I demand to know why this is happening. I don't deserve it. I demand then, therefore, to know why it's happening. And Job finishes his last stand that we looked at two weeks ago. His last stand finished like this. Um, If I could just get my trial. Like, Lord, go ahead, put me on trial. Hey, you're, you're my accuser now. You're my prosecutor, Lord. Put me on trial. If I could just get my trial, I could show you that I'm innocent and God is guilty. And here, between chapters 38 to 41, God says, all right, man, hey, you want a trial? You got it. You got it. And like any good attorney, well, maybe not like any good attorney. I have no idea what attorneys do. Uh, But maybe like they did on Law and Order. um, (laughs) There are two lines of questioning and one closing argument. And so let's look at it. Job 38, verse 1. And let me, before we, before we jump into this one, let me, let me, let me tell you, I, I, I don't really believe that any pastor anywhere at any time can truly do justice to a passage in the Scriptures. But rarely, rarely is it more obvious than when the Lord speaks in Job. And so with trembling hands and a shaking heart, let's go. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Now, verse 2 is is really the point that in this first line of questioning, God's going to build out. But let me talk about verses 1 and 3. This is a a kind of standard 
uh, oratory introduction, if you will, but hidden inside this introduction is something that you have to see. We've said repeatedly um, in the series that at times to understand the Bible, not just in the series, but uh, often we, we say, listen, if you want to understand the scriptures, you've got to do uh, some things. Sometimes you, you've got to put yourself in the scene where you can really understand what it's like to be Job. Sometimes you've got to understand what's in the mind of the author. And sometimes, sometimes you've got to put yourself in the shoes of the ancient reader reading this for the first time. Like, like that ancient reader who's heard about this story about Job and all of a sudden he's got this letter about, the, about Job in front of him and he's reading it for the first time. And that ancient reader reading it for the first time would have known this is far more than just an introduction, that this is a declaration of intent. Let me show you. See the word LORD uh, in all caps in verse 1? All, all caps LORD in verse 1. It's the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. Um, Yahweh and the reader at this time when he read it, that, that's a name for God that would have been uh, uh, directly linked to the redemptive acts of God in Exodus. Like when they see Yahweh at this time, when they're reading this, the first thought in the reader's mind would have been when God took the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and delivered them. It would have been the Exodus is what they would have thought of. And this is the first time that the word Yahweh shows up in the book of Job since the opening chapters of Job. Here's the point. The, the reader here would have known that God is showing up to redeem and if we can imagine, if we could just kind of picture in our mind's eye this Hebrew family sitting around looking at Job, this is the spot where if they had Apple TV back in the day, they would have hit paused and made sure all the family was focused in on what was about to happen because they'd have known something big is about to come. God's going to show up and he's going to redeem. But his redeeming starts with a rebuke. Let's look at it. Where were you, Job? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning star sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This is God looking at Job and saying, hey man, I, and I know you know how to run the world, I get it. W were you there? Like, I, I, I'm having a hard time remembering, I'm not good at this thing anymore, and so Job, I need your help. Were you there with me? Like, did we do this together? I can't remember. Hey Job, were you there when I created the world? And so Job would have obviously thought, um, no, no. Uh, I don't remember either, but I don't think so. But here's my question. What? Here's my, this is Job. Job's question. What, what does that have to do with evil? Like, what in the world does that have to do with evil? Great question. The Lord, knowing that would have been, addresses it and says, here's my point. Verse 8. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Or when I made clouds, its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Now, 
Um, in, in ancient literature, especially ancient poetic literature, there's layers to understanding. And, and the layers all have legitimate points. They have real points that are being made. So top layer right here is this. Hey, Job, did, did you set the boundaries of the sea? Hey, Job, east coast, west coast. You decide where that goes? Like, did you pick there's going to be an L.A. and there's going to be a New York? Huh, Job, did you? Again, I don't, I don't really remember, Job. I need your help here, man. Were you there? What about the Baltic Sea? Did you do that one? Underneath the surface is this. That in ancient literature, the, the sea represents disorder, danger, chaos, evil, and even death. And so when he says, hey, Job, did you set the boundaries of the sea? The way one theologian put it is like this. The Lord is saying, uh, hey, hey, Job, there's evil in the world, but I set its boundaries. I set its limits. I set where it goes and where it doesn't go. And one of the things that I appreciate so much of the Bible, and if, uh, if you're not a Christian in the room, uh, let, me, let me tell you this. Um, never does the Lord try to blame shift. Never does the Lord try to dodge his responsibility when it comes to the world. And, and what that means is this, that we, we don't have pat answers in the Bible. Like, like suffering is real, evil is real, and the Bible doesn't have pat answers for it. We have real, honest, face-to-face, head-on answers that we deal with it. We don't blame shift. We don't use pat answers. It's one of the things I appreciate most about the Scriptures. And so Job's natural question then, okay, Lord, if you set the boundaries of evil, will then evil exist forever? It's a fair question. It picks that up in verse 12. Have you commanded the morning? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth? Skirts of the earth think farthest corners of the earth. And yes, in that day they thought there were corners, big flat with corners. They were wrong about that. And the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Again, on the surface, hey, Job, do you cause a sun to rise and set? Do you? Hey, listen, we, we both know uh, that the sun rising someone causes that. Do you do it or do I do it? But underneath the surface, it's this, that's, that, that darkness represents evil and light represents God. And it's saying, as another theologian put it, that every time light is switched on, here's a quote, I'll just read it to you. Every time the light is switched on in creation, it reassures us that darkness will not last forever, that each new day is cosmic proof that evil has no enduring place in the created order. Now, no, he says, it's not going to last forever. But now in verse 16, uh, he gets pretty, pretty direct with Job. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this. Now, the the springs, the, uh, the, the deeps of the, like, this was, what, the way it was thought was that the, there was the, the, the sea, and the sea was fed with springs, and at the end of the springs was the gates to Sheol, the, the gates of death, the place where you didn't come back from, 
and the gates where light doesn't exist, the place where light doesn't exist. And he's saying, hey, Job, you ever, you ever been there? You ever seen it? Are you even aware of this, Job? you have any idea what I'm talking about, Job? Declare it if you have. Hey, Job, have you ever been there? You let me know. You see, here's the point of the first line of questioning. Here's what, here's what the Lord is trying to ask Job, and this first line of questioning is this, is, hey, hey Job, do you, do you have the needed perspective to run the world? Hey, I get it, Job, man. I, I, I get that you think you can do a better job than me, but let me ask you this, simply this, do you have the needed perspective to run the world? And some of us in this room right now, sitting here listening to me, uh, might need that question asked of you, but maybe modified a touch. Hey, do, do you have the needed perspective to run your own life? Do you? I mean, some of you in this room right now, and I know this because I know you, you're like the defense attorney looking at everything in your life and going, objection, objection, objection. You're having an education panel? Are you kidding me? I haven't been on a date in six years. Objection. And the Lord might bend down in that gentle, loving way, look you in the eye and say, hey, listen, I, I, I know. But were you there? Hey, when I, when I formed you in your mother's womb, but were you there? So in the way you look, it's not by accident. Were you there when I formed you? So that, that life of constant comparison will kill you. And it's just a way that we say objection. So the first question that he's asking is, do you, Job, have the needed perspective to run the world? And uh, 38, 39, it's more of the same. It just kind of gets worse. It's really an airtight argument that the Lord lays out. Um, and then Job speaks briefly in chapter 40. Um, and as one uh, one commentator put it, uh, he does not rest his case. And so the Lord continues with a second line of questioning, uh, 40 verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you uh, make it known to me. Same intro. Now verse 8. Will you, will you Job, will you even put me in the wrong Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Saying, hey, hey, Job, I, when you were asking for that trial, hey, listen, I, I, are, are you so bold as to say you're right and I'm wrong? I mean, are, are you so bold, Job, as to say, you know what, the, the pecking order in divine society here should be inverted, and Job, you should be above me in the org chart. Hey, are you putting yourself in the right and me in the wrong. Yeah, all right, I got an idea, Job. I got an idea. Here it is, verse 9. Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? 
Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Not spender. I don't know what spender is. Pour out your overflowings, the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then, then I will acknowledge you. I will acknowledge you that your own right hand can save you. This is what he's saying to Job. Hey, hey, Job, I tell you what, man. I tell you what. Why don't you give it a shot? Hey, I, I'm with you, Job. I'm with you. Man, I've, I've been fumbling this thing. Clearly, I'm not rolling this thing correctly. Job, why don't you give it a run? Just go for it, Job. Give it a shot. I'm, I'm confident. I'm with you, Job. I'm sure you can do better. Give it a shot. This, this interplay, this um, conversation between um, back when Job said, oh, well, much of what Job said, and then here when God is like, hey, why don't you, man, why don't you, why don't you give it a run? Why don't you give it a shot? It's, it's pretty parallel uh, to when I'm charcoal grilling, uh, and my five-year-old son comes up and says, hey, daddy, 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 man, you're not doing it right. Um, you're supposed to spray the stuff on so the fire goes boom. It would be as if I said, you know what, man, you're right, little buddy, my bad. Here's the lighter fluid. Give it a go. Go for it, Easton. I, I'm sure the stakes are going to come out better. Hey, Job, you want to give it a shot? You want to run the world? Hey, you've, you've got your strict parameters on on how evil and justice and injustice should look and work and clearly you've got the perspective to see the world the way it should be seen why don't you give running the world a shot job that's the second question do you want to run the world and now he has a closing argument and for his closing argument um, i'm I'm just going to introduce it this way Uh, he introduces two uh, creatures behemoth and leviathan uh, behemoth is this, uh, just this, like, I don't even know how to uh, describe, it's a super beast is the way it's kind of described where um, it's frightening and scary and you don't know what's going to happen. And then there's Leviathan, which is this like majestic and glorious creature where uh, you're, you're meant to just feel awe in the presence of this creature. In fact, uh, some places he asks him like, hey, could you, even, could you stand in front of this thing? Let me tell you what these creatures are. These creatures represent storybook characters from the ancient Near East that represent uh, disaster and disorder. And God's closing argument is this. By using these characters, here's what he says. He says, hey, hey, Job, the, the world, it, it is good, it is beautiful, but, but you know what, man, it's, it's also chaotic, dangerous, wild even. And right now, in its current state, it is not designed to prevent evil and suffering. It's not designed to prevent evil and suffering. But I tell you what, just like Behemoth, I can keep it on a leash. I, I can set its boundaries. I can keep it on a leash. And so, if we had that Hebrew family back reading this for the first time, if we could just maybe imagine what it would be like to 
to, to be an ancient family with no knowledge of the story of Job, no, no knowledge of the, the greater, grander story of the Bible, just put ourselves in their shoes and, and maybe picture the father sitting around and he's got his you know, two sons and four daughters and his wife over here and they're, they're reading Job and, uh, and, he, and he looks at him and he, and he pauses and he puts his hand over, uh, o- over the letter and, uh, and he says, hey, hey guys, let me, let me just stop right here because we're clearly at the end of, uh, of this speech by God and, and he's about to tell us why we're suffering. He's about to enter in and tell us, hey, this is why it's happening. Hey, listen, we're, we're kind of like Job, guys. We lost two of your brothers in the last year. An accident that we just never saw coming. And your mom and dad were struggling. We want to know why. We want to know why. And instead of getting an answer, there's silence. Complete silence. Silence. The Lord doesn't answer the question. But not all silence is the same, is it? Sometimes silence has a point. And the point here is that this silence is an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to trust the Lord in your suffering. It's God looking Job in the eyes and saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And if we could for a moment, just go back into Job and back into his life and maybe just try as best we can to feel what Job is feeling. Imagine Job sitting here, silence. Trust you. Trust you. Lord, I want my kids. I can still hear them laughing. Like, I don't need, I don't need a voice recorder to hear them laughing. I can hear them laughing every day. I can remember what it was like to sit around and crack jokes with Timmy or the Hebrew version of Timmy. Trust me. Why in the world should I? From Job's perspective, it's a fair question. And the Lord's answer to Job might have been this. Hey, Job, I, I hear you. It's, I hear you. I, I hear you, Job. That's, that's fair. But hey, do you remember my question to you? Hey, hey, Job, have you ever been to the recesses of the deep? Have you ever been through the gates of death? Hey, Job, you don't know this man. You don't, you don't know this, Job, but, but one day I'm going to. One day I'm going to. One day I'm going to send my son into the world, and he's going to live like you, and he's going to suffer like you. And one day they're going to hang this crucifix on him. He's going to carry this cross. He's going to be nailed up there. And as he is, he's going to be passing through the gates of Sheol. He's going And listen, and in that moment, Job, in that moment, I'm going to look down as a father in my son, like you look right now going, I don't want this to happen to my son. I'm going to feel what you feel, Job. I know there's no other way. 
but it doesn't mean that I want my son to go through this. One day, Job, one day, Job, I'm going there. I'm going there. And so will you trust me? Hey, Job, I know you don't know yet. You don't see it yet, but I'm asking you to trust me, Job. I'm looking you in the eye saying, I'm not disconnected from your suffering. Will you trust me? And that question to Job, will you trust me, imposes a pretty simple and pretty straightforward question on us. Because here's what happens. When Jesus was on the cross, the Lord took the leash off. When the darkness came, the leash was removed. And the full thunder of evil and injustice landed on the sun. And when we look at that, the question becomes for us in our suffering, is trust me enough? Is trust me enough Suffering is going to come when it does. Is trust me enough? Suffering is here. Is trust me enough? Diagnosis, they can't figure it out. Health has gone all over the map. Is trust me enough? Single with no end in sight. Is trust me enough? Lost my job. Is trust me enough? One day, One day that phone's going to ring and the other end is going to say cancer. And when that day gets here, is trust me enough? Is trust me enough? If the answer is no, if the answer is no, you're always going to demand answers. You will always demand answers. And, And one prof, one seminary prof who spent 35 years full career devoted to the book of Job, answered the question, what is the book of Job about like this? It's, it's that, um, I'm going to read it, that God can do whatever he wants and owes you no explanation. He can ask whatever he wants and owes you no explanation. And if your answer is no, trust me, is not enough. That will not be satisfactory. You will demand an explanation. But, But if trust me is enough, then the book of Job will be a calm, cool blanket on a burning and painful soul. If trust me is enough, when suffering comes, here's what's going to happen. Your lens on the world isn't going to get more narrow like Job's. Your lens on the world is going to get wider. And when that happens, when your lens gets wider, here's what happens. The unimportant becomes unimportant. The unimportant becomes unimportant right now. Right now. I'm, I'm speaking to Christians right now. Right now, we have brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus throughout the Middle East that have ISIS in the earshot of them. Right now, right now, like today, there are Christians, people who, who fellow followers of Jesus, part of this global family called the church that are in hospital rooms right now. And at 2 p.m. today, a doctor's going to walk in, going to look them in the eye and say, there's nothing left that we can do. You need to start saying your goodbyes.
And do you think in their shoes, if they were here, sitting in this room with us right now, that they would say, you know what you really need? You need a yard. You know what's really important? Make sure you've got some unsheltered land. I'm not anti-yard. In fact, I'm pro-yard. I have fourth kid on the way. I want to be able to lock them outside and have some peace and quiet. (laughs) We just moved into a new house. Uh, We have a 12 by 12 foot patch of grass, and so it's going to happen. But how dare I ever believe that a yard is something I need? The Lord is what I need. What happens is when uh, trust me with your life is not enough, we start using the word need way too loosely. And we attach need to things that we don't need. But if, if trust me is enough, maybe, just maybe, our lens gets widened. And all of a sudden, we start seeing what's trivial for what it is. And let me tell you why this is important. When I told you this is in the beginning, we said this would be an honest conversation. It wouldn't be a happy, joy-joy conversation through the book of Job. This is no different. This is no different. Because if, tr- if trust me is not enough with your life right now, and you make, uh, you make what is trivial something that you need, you will not be able to handle it when suffering comes and all of a sudden what's going on in your life is no longer trivial. You will need to be able to answer the question, is trust me enough with the word yes? Because one day, one day, we're all going to be face to face with the question. We're we're all going to be in that hospital room or we're all going to be in Syria or we're all going to be somewhere where we're sitting here face to face with the question, is trust me enough? I know what you're going through. Is trust me enough? I, I don't want you to go through it. Is trust me enough? You are going through it. You are suffering. It is real. It is no longer trivial. Six months as a diagnosis is no longer trivial. Is trust me enough? Hey, we... Your wife was in a car wreck. She's not coming home. Just trust me enough. Your son, it was a horrible accident. Just trust me enough. I'm 61, single, and seeming like it's just never going to happen. Is trust me enough. The book of Job is trying to widen your lens on the world so that when it's your turn to answer, you answer yes. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Job. We thank you for this story. Thank you that we have another week left to go and that we get to see the great grand full scope of the story next week. And I pray. Uh, for my 
brothers and sisters, members of this family that we call the church, I pray that we would be able to answer the question, is trust me enough with the word yes? Lord, we know that um, that's your work to do in us, and so we're asking that you would do it in us. Because we know, we know that our chance to answer is coming. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.